behind it all. Welcome to the 14th edition of TTBIA, the thinking behind it all. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And thank you for following us on Facebook. If you haven't yet, look for the thinking behind it all. That's our Facebook page. Or you can go on Twitter at TTBIA underscore. At TTBIA underscore. With me, I've got Busi. Ricardo, Andy Siwe, and Isaac. Welcome, guys. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Hey, you guys are dull. Yo, what's up? Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ow. Hi. Anyway. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, Isaac, welcome back. Andy Siwe, welcome back. Thank you. And, uh, Thanks, bro. And Ricardo is in uh, Florida, I believe, this time around, so... Yeah, he's not a New York resident. Do you want to tell us what you're no. doing in Florida, Ricardo, or is it private business? No, it's no, private it's, business. I, <laughs> I, I'm good, I'm fighting the good fight in the South. That's what I'm doing. Oh, okay. Dangerous <laughs> fight, though. All right. If you have any comment, again, just remember you can look for our page, the thinking behind it all, or go to Twitter at ttbia underscore. The usual suspect's perspective. Uh, I want to know from you guys what stood out for you this past week. What was extraordinary? Ricardo? So last week when we talked about um, the Maxine Waters case and um, just how the um, use of civility in politics and all this, the rest. So a person confronted the Secretary of Energy, Scott Pruitt, uh, earlier in the week. And he really gave him the business. I loved it um, while he was eating his fancy Japanese meal. And he has resigned as of yesterday. So that brought a smile to my face. So, yeah, that's 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 what I was thinking about. So you're happy uh, that uh, a politician got harassed. Anyway, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm more happy of the outcome of the harassment. Although, I mean, obviously it wasn't just that, but, you know, mm, this coming from a liberal. Oh, my. So much for equality. Oh, right. you and your labels. Should, you know, <laughs> you should. You, as a black man, aren't you tired of labels? Um, <laughs> no, I've been labeled all my life. I'm blind. I'm black. I'm a man. I'm trash. You're broke. Well, I'm broke. Etc. Etc. Et you know, <laughs> doesn't stop. I shouldn't speak for you. I'm speaking for myself. I'm broke. <laughs> Andy Siwe, what stood out for you? Hey, mine is very petty. I love celebrity news. So, I don't know if you remember the story about AKA and the ex-girlfriend. So now yes. him and his baby mama threw a joint party for their daughter. And everyone is so excited and they think they're going to get back together and all of that. So that stood out for me. But I'm more on no a level of time. co-parenting. No, I no, think no, no rock together. I even think <laughs> or maybe special rocks. Together. 
more on like an issue of like the fact that we have so many broken homes especially as black people and parents need to sometimes step above and beyond the pettiness just for the sake of their children and learn how to co-parent not necessarily be boyfriend and girlfriend but at least learn how to co-parent you know for the sake mm-hmm. of the kids that's why it stood out to me uh, sure mm. sounds nice mm. you know it shows the human side of black people take note white yeah. people <laughs> Busijo, what stood out Ah, so the trade war has actually began, guys. So, mm-hmm. um Chinese products will be hit with a 25% tariff, which means that the products from China will be 25% more expensive for US consumers. And so the the reason why this matters is because there's obviously going to be global ripple effects, and one of them is that there's already a drop in foreign investment worldwide. So, it's maybe this is World War 3. It might not be a physical war, but um there's certainly a chance that other countries might join in so we're making america great again oh not me uh trump is he's making us more yes, broke I don't, that, I don't know if that's great because people are going to have to pay more for a lot of things than they think because even if products are like one part of it like your iphone even if like just mm-hmm. a small part of it is made by a chinese company that component is going to be more expensive making the whole phone I more expensive Ricardo. Mm. Yes. <laughs> More reason Ricardo, than Mr. Ricardo is an Apple fan, so Ricardo, I hope you guys, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys get salary increases. I hope you guys get twenty five percent salary increases. That's funny. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Isaac, I don't know if you guys remember earlier this year, Ashwin Villamsa walked out of SuperSport. I think it's important for me because you know I've played this game for a long time, mm. like most, like all of us, yeah, I think you know. And um, as a player, I was labeled a quota player for a long time. And um, I've earned hard and worked hard to earn my own respect in this game. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be patronized by two individuals that have played in a part of the segregated era and come and want to undermine, you know. And so I think I think for me, I've had I've had my face. I can't work with people that undermine other people. And you know, you can sit and you can laugh about it, I'm but, not laughing about but that you know, if they know what happened, it's fine. It's fine. I don't mind being ridiculous. I'm glad it happens on air so people can see. Do you do sit here? No, it's fine. Well, that's unfortunate because um, the match was going so well and so was our conversation. Well, um, yesterday this dude graduated at WITS. You know, he got a master's. That was a positive for him given like the negativity that surrounded him for walking out on super sport and yeah black excellence man yeah i want to know if habib was there though because <laughs> habib is the one who conducted the inquiry afterwards when mm-hmm. it became a big scandal and habib was like no there's no racism involved and bloody bloody blah so i wonder if yeah. habib is the one who shook his hand on stage That must have been be an so awkward, awkward moment. Oh, yeah, very awkward. yeah, yeah. <laughs> very. Um, Habib, for those who don't know, he's the vice chancellor of Wits University. Most hated. Mm. Most hated. He was his classes quite he belligerent just... towards the students during the Fismas Fall hey, protests. We'll never forgive. Yeah. Yeah. We te- will never forget. We can't forgive that. Unforgivable. Hey. Yeah, but they made him sit in the first speed must fall at Solomon Mashango House. Yeah, I remember they that. They surrounded him. I remember him to that. Sit down. And this is what you yeah, think. Be humble. Bitch, be humble. Holla, bitch. Sit down. Holla, look. Holla, be humble. Bitch, holla.
sit down. <laughs> I'd already left Vits by then. Oh, okay. I went there. I was working at the time, but I went there just for support. I went to the union buildings and I like bought stuff for the students, but I, I didn't get a chance to actually go to Vits. Oh, okay. Now it was lit. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was lit there, though. Yeah, <laughs> it was lit. Yo, that's the first one. Do you hear Ricardo what South Africans think is lit? Do you hear <laughs> this is how this is how social justice warriors party y'all. <laughs> this is where you find Comrade Bay. Comrade Bay is out there in the protests, you know? Oh, man. So for me what stood out was the EFF Economic Freedom Fighting Presser yesterday. Wow. <laughs> if people thought the people's president or if you are of the establishment, the former president, Jacob Zuma, got it bad. Yesterday, on the EFF's press conference, it was bananas. Of course, it was vintage Malema. Him heading out at many people. But his specific target this time around was Pravin Gordon. We're not going to allow Guptas to be replaced by Pravin Gordon's gangster. Even in the media. If you want to know what is captured, the real capture is coming now. We're watching them. We're not going to leave them. But you know, the last point I want to make, uh, uh, Comrade Mbuisen, is that the way you are so embedded, some of you journalists, look, Sasa is not paid. Some of the beneficiaries. I saw a journalist saying they are sabotaging Ramaphosa regime, I give up. God, I give up. Ramaphosa, if he had capacity, should have known that that place, there is a crisis there. That is one of the areas Ramaphosa should have zoomed in decisively and make sure that it's done properly. If he's this powerful, capable leader you are telling us about, if Tumamina knew that there is potential sabotage. Why didn't he run it himself? Because he has got the power as the president to take it over and run it himself. Tumamina, Tumamina. Now people are not paid Tumamina. And then instead of blaming Ramaphos, we say it's sabotage. This crisis, if it had happened under Nkwasazana Dlamini Zuma, you will be saying, we said it before, that this woman is not capable of leading. The group is not capable of leading. You are not going to say sabotage against Ramaphosa. I mean against Nkwasazan. Please be consistent. There is no Zuma now. Ramaphosa must pay social grants. There is no sabotage here. You are incapable of running Ramaphosa. Somebody said, tell us about Ramaphosa's term. We said to you, there is nothing to drive home about. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, Guys, do you think he pre yeah. thinks these things? Do you think Judas Malema goes home and thinks tomorrow I'm going to call this person X? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. No, I seriously am curious. Pravin Kodan, for those who don't know, he's the Minister of Public Enterprise currently in South Africa and used to be the former Minister of Finance. And before then, he used to be the Commissioner of the South African Revenue Service. So at the moment, he's the media darling. He's considered to be 
a very important cog in the Tumamina slash What on earth is a public enterprise? It's state-owned entities. Yeah. He's oh, the one okay. running those affairs. So the EFF was just going at him. A lot of money to be siphoned off of something like that. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, they actually called him that saying that he's the actual president of South Africa. And I was like, yo, you guys are actually plagiarizing one of our tweets. Because we're the one um, <laughs> who tweeted that a couple of days ago before the presser. But anyway, so that's what stood out for me. I'm wondering what's going to come from this because already the media is turning it out to be another attack by the EFF on Indian people because Praveen Gordon is Yo, an Indian man. Again. Ah, again. Guys. So that's already the tone that this whole thing is taking. But this is also quite funny um, considering that they used to like protect him. Still remember last year when he was at SARS um, with these rogue units, they said... Um, there was pressure from above and Praveen needs um, protection from this. They also were quite vocal on uh, on that and they supported him uh, when he was trying to oust Zuma with his state capture. Sure. It's funny now that they're going to call him uh, another Gupta. Yeah, I mean, uh, Julius is playing the nobleman. He says that he is for justice. You know, even if Praveen treated him badly, because for those who know, Praveen is believed to be the one who was behind Judas Malema leaving the ANC African National Congress years ago because he was a member of that. So he said he forgave him for that, even though he may be doing wrong things at times. It doesn't mean that he as Julius Malema can't stand for justice when it comes to people that he doesn't like. So if you have any other comment on what we've just discussed, please remember, go to Facebook, The Thinking Behind It All. Or you can go to Twitter at TTBIA underscore, at TTBIA underscore. And we will definitely appreciate any comment, feedback, question, critique that you may have. May have. Ethiopia has a new prime minister, Dr. Abby Ahmed who came into power after the resignation of the previous prime minister in February 2018. The resignation came at a time when the country was in a lot of turmoil. There were a number of protests from ethnic groups that felt as though they were marginalized, culturally, economically, politically, you name it. And during these protests, a lot of people died. Furthermore, the Ethiopian government at the time had been accused of human rights violations, including the torturing and killing of opposition leaders. And Ethiopia as a country was just not in a good standing with some of its neighboring countries, Eritrea, over land disputes. So there was a conflict a few years ago where both countries lost people over some land. And part of the peace agreement was that Ethiopia was going to hand over a certain amount of land to Eritrea, which they did not do. They've had conflict with Egypt as well over the Nile Basin. So now people have an understanding of what the political climate was like when Dr. Abby came into power. And since he's been in power, it's only been a few months. He has signed over the land to Eritrea. 
he has taken a number of opposition leaders off the terrorist list and he has made promises of opening up the economy ethiopia has a very close economy foreign investment was not really encouraged much um but he's made promises to sort of review some of the policies that they have to sort of encourage investment into the country through all of his reforms and just from him being a very young man he's in his 40s he's the youngest head of state in africa he has gathered so much support from young people in ethiopia from his tribe and ones that are from outside of his tribe he has also gained support from the african union which means all the heads of states of africa he's gained support from international communities international heads of states so he's a really loved leader but two weeks ago during a rally that he was held in addis ababa someone targeted him with a bomb the bomb went off he was not hurt but a number of people were hurt who were at the rally two people died two civilians died and so the question is why would people bomb someone who is bringing about positive change to a country a country that is filled with so much poverty it is one of the fastest growing economies in africa or the world but it is filled with so much poverty the gap between the rich and the poor is extreme and having spoken to a few older ethiopians who are against some of the changes he's making i sit very baffled wondering how can people be against the progress of an economy the progress of their people and if you fully understand the ethiopian environment you also have an understanding of the fact that the previous government i mean it's the same government just the previous leaders have used a lot of propaganda to make people believe that the status quo at the time was the best thing there are so many questions that come up around the situation and what is actually going on in ethiopia right now and this is where you believe that this is positive change for ethiopia and is that mainly because of people being given liberties and the economy growing i think for me it's more around the liberties i feel like people's human rights are starting to get honored a little bit more people are able to be a bit more vocal people are given a chance to speak freely they're not as afraid of what might happen to them if they do speak out i don't think 2 months ago i would have done the story honestly speaking because usually when there's western investment in an african country as is the case now with ethiopia the outlook in terms of the economy is said to be quite positive and in this particular instance the current leader is looking to privatize sections of the economy and china is pulling out so does this mean that you only consider to be a thriving government or state when you align yourself with the west 
You know what? Actually, I don't think that Ethiopia is aligning with the West because Ahmed, he's accepted a large aid package from Saudi Arabia. And I actually was going to raise this as a point that I think he's doing great things otherwise. But this aid package is effectively almost siding with the allies in the ongoing Gulf crisis. So I don't know what that will mean for Ethiopia in the long run, this relationship with Saudi Arabia. So um, so I do think that there's a number of things happening in terms of the push and pull in terms of who's investing and who's leaving. But we do know that Saudi Arabia is a friend of the American government. Of course, but America is not particularly happy with what's happening in the Gulf crisis either. So the thing about aid, right, is that there's no free aid. The thing about aid is that it comes with a lot of policy requirements and a lot of conditions so the question is what will be saudi arabia's conditions on ethiopia and in a way there is a risk that ethiopia's democratic prospects could be damaged because of the country that saudi arabia is and so would you say the current feel in ethiopia is similar to that of what we saw in south africa in the 90s to a certain extent i actually do think that because Even though I'm one of those people who are a bit excited about the changes that I'm seeing, it's just one leader who's changed. The party is literally the same people. The parliament is the same people. So how much power does he have to actually change things completely is also another thing that you need to think about. Don't you feel like maybe some African countries are behind in terms of experiencing their independence and freedoms, as it were. I mean, here we are 20, 30 years after South Africa had its independence. And I'm not saying that we should compare the two countries, of course. But here you have Ethiopia going through this period and world politics are changing. We know that there are rightist movements in various parts of Europe, even in Asia. And I'll even go as far as to say Africa and of course America. So how would Ethiopia balance this out? You do have a point um, when you say that you have to align yourself with the West in order for you to have like these democratic processes like we saw with South Africa. But uh, Saudi is a very contested area in global politics. If they can choose their allies properly, and secure their country in terms of like weaponry for the military and they can get those things right then yeah it's it's something to be positive about i'm also not too positive about what andy siwe said that it's only like one leader and hence maybe that's why he got attacked i feel the rest of his party maybe and other constituencies aren't willing to change ricardo did you have anything to add Isaac pretty much hit the points that I wanted to hit. I think he's completely correct when it comes to Saudi Arabia and the global politics, even their internal politics as a monarch. The Saudi family is thousands of people, right? And only maybe a couple hundred of them are decision makers within the kingdom. And there's constantly factions fighting for for more control. So what part of that faction decided to extend aid to Ethiopia and what are their designs and it could change in the next couple of years what is Ethiopia giving out for this aid and is it the land issue that they have now quote-unquote resolved I know that one of the Saudi sheikhs is half Ethiopian 
I don't know if it's partly to do with him being set free from jail and um mm. but I actually don't know what they're giving up. So wait, and you see what they just released one of the sheikhs. There's a Saudi sheikh. Um his name is Muhammad and he is half Ethiopian. He was born in Ethiopia. His mother's Ethiopian. The father is from Saudi Arabia. The mother mm-hmm. got married to him. And he was arrested in Saudi Arabia for tax evasion or something like that. And mm-hmm. and he owns a number of companies in Ethiopia like he's the richest man in Ethiopia if I'm not mistaken. Second richest man in Africa after Dan Gotti. And yeah, he was just released from jail not that long ago. Ricardo, in most instances what we see a pattern at least emerging in Africa since the 60s when most countries had their independence is that there's this constant struggle between tradition and modernity. And mm-hmm. I'd just like to know from a western or even an american perspective how is the scene because there are those people who believe in freedoms and mm-hmm. their own systems of governance but yet they always find themselves in constant battle with people who believe in democratic processes that should prevail this is one of the many scars left behind by colonialism where you have people who weren't necessarily one people and had no say in becoming a nation state you know it's just lines drawn on a map and now here's your independence get along guys when they really had nothing in common except for having the same overlord right <laughs> so that's one i think that that's where a lot of the struggle first starts with um but from a american perspective uh i think americans often write off these inner struggles in african nation as ah there goes their tribalism you know and it's true to an extent but it's much more complex than than we give it credit for cuz americans don't often factor in the colonial aspect as far as what to do about it moving forward i think that s- certain African nations I guess they really have to decide on how they want to move forward like I cuz I think you could still have a tribal system incorporated into democracy I, I I completely think that's possible so more traditionalists can have their say in governance Busi do you see this being possible for Ethiopia balancing tradition and modernity so to speak or practicing their traditions within a democratic framework potentially yeah because i think if we go back to who funds these projects and who has policy strength at least to push policy in a particular way so for instance i think what has really hurt african countries is neoliberal agenda which has a one size fits all so they haven't looked at south africa and said okay this is how south africa is structured and this is how we need to help south africa grow given the institutions that are in place right so this whole one size fits all led to the africa's last decade right so when we look at ethiopia and we think about its relationship to middle eastern countries maybe it is possible 
possible that they'll be more willing to accept the cultural aspect of Ethiopia because they themselves value their culture so much, right? So I do think that there might be some scope for it. But like, again, like we spoke about, what if they pull out in terms of like their aid and what does that mean for policy? What's Ethiopia giving up? We don't know all those details yet. So I can't really say right now. And so would you say this was perhaps some of the reasons behind the bombing are these anxieties that are lingering in society people feeling that their customs are going to be eroded i do think so and i mean we need to also remember that ethiopia was never colonized quote unquote culture has been a very big part of the development of ethiopia and it's it's something that has not been lost at all their language hasn't been lost their culture is still very valued so when you're bringing in all of these things there is that possibility that we'll lose everything that we have. Isaac, this is the youngest leader currently in Africa. He's in his 40s. Is this something to be celebrated? Maybe it's 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 being South African, but I have I have negative views about 40-year-olds that are entering the space, especially of politics, trying to change politics. Is it something to be celebrated? Being 40 plus in politics, no. I don't I don't think that you have anything fresh to offer us. You're not passing not passing us into like a fourth industrial revolution way of thinking. So for me, no. Busi, do you agree? I think at least the age is getting younger. So I think it's worthwhile celebrating that at least we're pushing the boundaries. But I agree with Isaac that we should consider what's the average age in Ethiopia, guys. Like, so if the average age in Ethiopia is like 18, what's a 40-year-old? You know what I mean? So I do think we need to take those things into consideration. But I think it's worthwhile celebrating that at least we're moving down. Ricky, you guys had a young president in 2008. Yeah. Do you think uh, I think he was the second youngest president we've had. Um, I think John F. Kennedy was the youngest. Yeah. yeah. Kennedy was the youngest, um, yeah. I think that if you are a progressive, specifically in the social side of things, right? I think that a younger national leader is to your advantage because they're more likely to share the same outlook as far as uh, social agendas moving forward. I guess I don't have the negative feelings that that isaac has um this might just being to where we we live so let's just pretend we could elect a person who's like 25 to lead a nation i don't know if i would want any 20 something leading a nation personally myself right because i just think of me in my 20s i'm like i don't even know if i could run a a, a gas station like <laughs> let alone a country <laughs> like and it's just because there is something to to life experiences I think that when we're in our 20s, we're ultra optimistic. That's first of all. And that's a good thing in many respects. But when you're ruling a country or, you know, presiding over a country, I think sometimes realism has to take over optimism. And you see where, as a final comment, how is this working out though for him socially within Ethiopia? Is he high-fiving, getting along, gelling with the youth? Is everybody loving him or are people seeing him as an elder? I think he's getting along quite well with the youth. I think even after the bomb attack, he was in the hospital where the people were being treated. 
and he was present. He didn't get whisked off somewhere to go and hide, you know. So he is loved by the young people of Ethiopia. And I think that things are going really well for him besides the bombing, bombing, bombing. On the 4th of July was America's Independence Day. Across the country, people enjoyed hot dogs, fireworks, and the great red, white, and blue. Independence Day in America marks the date back in 1776 when American settlers broke away from being ruled by the British, who had been on the continent since the 16th century. A group called the Colony's Second Continental Congress came together in Philadelphia in order to put together a document to finally cut ties with Great Britain. The document was called the Declaration of Independence. A section of the document states that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh wait, but that didn't include Native Americans, did it? And it certainly did not include black people. It wasn't until 1863 that the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, which technically freed slaves in the rebelling Confederate States. Or the 1865 ratification of the 13th Amendment, which enshrined the end of slavery into the Constitution. Even though the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1863, a number of slaves were still slaves in 1865. Word of slavery's end traveled slowly, especially for those in remote areas and for those who were largely isolated from Union armies. Life continued as if freedom did not exist. Which is why African Americans celebrate June 19th or Juneteenth as the holiday celebrating the emancipation in the United States rather than Independence Day, 4th of July which only applies to a certain group of people, particularly white people. But what Juneteenth represents is how freedom and justice in the United States has always been delayed for black people and people of color. The decades after the end of the war would see a wave of lynching, imprisonment and Jim Crow laws take root for black people. What followed was the disproportionate impact of mass incarceration, discriminatory housing policies, and a lack of economic investment. While some progress has been made in the last 150 years or so, in the words of Matthew Norman, quite a future awaits the unwilling mother and the gay teenager dreaming of a marriage in a land of the free that already steals and incarcerates brown-skinned babies. On the 4th of July, Congolese-born Therese Patricia Okomo scaled the Statue of Liberty in her Rise and Resist t-shirt, sitting there for three hours. She was reportedly saying that she wouldn't come down until all the children who are being held in immigration centers have been released. Hey guys, I'm still trying to figure out when America was great. So happy Independence Day, America. How is that working out for you? The same question can be asked to African and Caribbean states. 1960 was the year of independence for many African states. Between January and December of 1960, 17 sub-Saharan African countries, including 14 former French colonies, gained independence from their colonizers. 
As independence swept through the continent, we sang our new national anthems whose lyrics recalled the heroic struggle. We saluted the national flags whose colors symbolized the glory of independence. There had been a deep psychological association of our identity with our independence from our former European colonists. Independence Day was a milestone to separate two periods, the colonial era of oppression and impoverishment and the new era which was meant to be of freedom and prosperity. So what's up Africa? Where's the freedom and prosperity? How goes the neocolonialism? How's independence working out for us? Ricardo, so Independence Day clearly it's a big occasion. Is mm-hmm. it as we surmise it to be on TTBIA that it's only a big for the majority of people in America and not the minority who are people that have been oppressed and ill-treated for centuries? I think most black people don't actually think of the hypocrisy of the day. For most black people in America, it's just a day off from work where you get to hang out with your family. And it's no more, no less. We, uh, I think even the majority of white Americans, they don't really grasp the total impact of the day for better and for worse. It's just a holiday to hang out barbecue, eat hot dogs, <laughs> like Boosie said. We have a way of whitewashing history and not really, with a critical lens, realizing what these holidays mean. Here in the United States, Memorial Day is the, the last Monday in May. And so many people say, Happy Memorial Day! And it's like, well, it's a day to remember men and women who died in battles. Is it really a happy day? Busi, going on uh, Ricardo's point that we have a tendency, or people in America have a tendency of whitewashing history, and I'm sure it's the case in other parts of the world as well. I can certainly speak for South Africa. But is this on some level testament to the fact that the establishment of this democracy or this independence was actually not for everyone. It was merely a group of white men who came together and declared it to be independence after a war in which they used black people and Native American mm-hmm. people. Yeah, certainly. And I think I went to an American school. Also, I learned all about the 13 states, the initial, the original colonies and so forth. And I think you don't learn this history, right? I didn't know about Juneteenth until, you know, this age of wokeness, right? I didn't know that's what actually happened. All I learned was that in 1776, the Declaration of Independence was signed and then everybody knew about it, but it wasn't everyone. And I was reading on CNN, they actually state that everyone knew about it, but it's like... (laughs) No, even when slavery was abolished, even black people with slaves did not know about it. So, Mm -hmm. and as we know, white women in America did not also vote until later on. And obviously black people even later. So it's, it's really how we teach history and who writes the textbooks. What do we as a people, be it black people as a race or Native American or even women, 
we spoke about Windrush and what to do about this history. And remember I said that until we can advocate for these things to be included in textbooks, but we cannot wait until these things are included in textbooks. So we need to take it upon ourselves, those of us who have access to this information, to disseminate it in times that we can. And TTPIA is obviously a platform for that, right? And we can use other platforms to do that, which is when a day like this comes, sharing posts. That's how I learned about Juneteenth. Somebody decided to share an article on Facebook and I read it and now I know about Juneteenth. So I think it's really up to us to ensure that we teach each other and teach younger generations about it, like teach our siblings, our nieces, our cousins, help them with homework. When they're learning that homework about the massacres in apartheid history, we need to be like, hey, what are you learning? This is what you should know as well. Ricardo, how do you see that playing out though in America, seeing that Independence Day, I believe, probably for conservative people is a big day. They expect it to be respected and not to be a day of protests and advocacy. I think you can advocate and teach and not be disrespectful. So, for example, we're talking about independence and the Revolutionary War. Uh, We could talk all about that and say how great it was, but I think we should talk about the first person killed in the Revolutionary War, who was a black man, Crispus Attucks, right? Like, a lot of people don't know that that the revolutionary started with the blood spilled of a black man. So, I Even don't think though that's the black man was not sitting at the table afterwards when the <laughs> Declaration right, of Independence and, and, was written. I don't think it's disrespectful to tell the story on how people of color were excluded from this mm. independence. How did you feel as a New Yorker when you heard of this Congolese woman scaling the Statue of Liberty and how was it received by other New Yorkers and Americans at large? You know, I'm not sure because I was traveling when I heard about it, so I didn't really get a good feel. I didn't really discuss it much with people around me. I actually heard it in the car going to the airport. And my first reaction was, first of all, that girl crazy. But um, just because I I wouldn't have done it. You know what I mean? Mm -mm. Uh, white people into them extreme sports not me but anyway that's a whole other kettle of fish <laughs> 47 meters for those who don't know i was like wow that's kind of selfish i mean she's endangering other people's lives to prove this point but like i thought about it more i was like well she is definitely getting the message across i don't necessarily think that's how i would have gone about it but i don't speak out against the way she decided to protest like after more consideration isaac How do you feel about black people protesting in America? Assuming that you view America as a white country, of course. People protesting in America, man. Get on your ships, get on your Amistads and come back home, dog. (laughs) This is not your country. F out of here, man. It's not even your country. Y'all, y'all, what are we coming back to? Come on, Isaac. Isaac. Come through. Let's let's strengthen the homeland. homeland, This the first we can make these claims, Isaac. Process, dog, Ricky. (laughs) I feel indifferent, man. I just, I was just like, meh, when I when I heard that she was scaling it, but she, she was scaling it for like. You know, okay, I, I understand. Maybe I'm being insensitive again. She was scaling it for, like, the kids in immigration, dog. It did, I, I didn't find I could relate to it, like, in any way. So that maybe that's why I was just indifferent. Isaac, you don't view it as 
a cause that was in line with what the day is about so by that i mean yeah, yeah. it's not in keeping with what independence day was about and the politics surrounding independence day yeah i think it it, it makes us move away from independence day uh and it makes us focus on what independence day looks like today for the us in terms of like these immigration laws Bruce, do you agree with that with as a sentiment about that what what was she essentially protesting about seeing that it doesn't really fit neatly with the independence day theme no i think it fits perfectly because yes america has progressed over time but if we're going to consider white settlers as immigrants right so the declaration of independence was written by these white settlers who decided that the country was now theirs right not by native americans and how the laws have changed over time but i think what's important is that in the declaration it says all men men are created equal right so why is it that immigrant children are treated that particular way right men, so not children. i think it's men not women let's get it right anyway you're gone <laughs> white men they just forgot white there in front even right. hey, yeah you're right though but i'm just saying that like white christian men yeah and i think it fits no 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 but it's still like it still speaks to americanism i'm sure they'd say uh, a white american would say like uh, immigrants just messing up our day you know but that's when you make the impact about. right so when Bree Newsom, so this story reminds me of Bree Newsom and it was a couple of years ago. She basically climbed up the, you know, those poles that hold the flags, like mm-hmm. really high. She scaled up that and pulled down the Confederate flag, right? So yeah. I think that it's a statement and it kind of reminded me of that, that this woman, she was protesting on the ground and she literally decided, you know what, I'm going to go up there. And I'm going to sit there and I'm going to make this point. Otherwise, we would have never known about the protest for immigrant children happening right there by a Statue of Liberty. Pulling down the Confederate flag is, is more of a statement. I mean, she stopped the fireworks. They couldn't do the fireworks. And you know, that's a big American thing. Mm-hmm. Hey, they were we ready for the fireworks. Up, exactly. man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> we do. <laughs> so, Ricardo, how are you guys treating the 12 remaining Native Americans? <laughs> well, that's what we're wow. that's what Everybody want to save the environment. Should I see trees every day? I'll never see no Indians. I went to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade this year. They didn't even have enough Indians in that fish. They had a bunch of pilgrims. When it came time for the Indians, they had three real Indians, and the rest was a bunch of Puerto Ricans with feathers in their hair. Anyway, how you guys wow. treating them? I know. <laughs> Seeing that we celebrate wow. Independence Day. I'm also well, celebrating Independence Day. You know, first, uh, this is really a, a white people question because <laughs> black folk don't got no say in how Native Americans are treated in this country. Um, but I don't think progress has really been made in an extremely long time, probably not in 70 years. Uh, and I don't think there's anything the American government can really do to make up for the mistreatment of native americans from well just stealing their land breaking treaties deliberately doing germ warfare against these people and all that said there's many native americans that think they're better than black people because 
they could say, well, at least we weren't slaves. And, um, you know, that kind of led me to what Isaac was saying about his indifference to the, to the protest. And I was thinking, is it because he wasn't necessarily protesting on behalf of black people specifically? Um, because I look at it as a preventive, a preventive measure, right? Because I mean, okay, they're rounding up Central and South Americans now. I can see that being black people if we're not mind sharks, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. anyone can get it. It's just that this this is the target of the day. Are you saying that the reservations are not sufficient? Because many people would believe that at least they are given land and they're given casinos. What type of land? And they can pretty much thrive as a community. (laughs) No, there's a lot of issues on many reservations. Lack of health care in many instances. Education is often an issue. It's basically the Native American version of a ghetto. Uh, that's what it really is. I don't. I mean, they can say it's theirs, yes, um, but there are certain em- economic issues that they face, even though they have, you know, certain provisos as you know, not paying federal income tax, things of that nature, and, and even the the casinos. Sure, that is a boom for certain tribes, certain certain people, but we all know about trickle down economics. It doesn't get to the people who need it. I think there's a trend across the world in how countries treat the natives of that land. You can see that in Canada as well. Canada does mm-hmm. the same thing that America does to Native Americans. Australia does the Australia, same thing. Yeah. New, Zealand New Zealand does the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and even in South Africa, look at how we treat the Khoisan people, right? So I think there's a general trend in how people would be considered because in South Africa, I think, you know, maybe we can debate, but the natives of the land, there's always just this ill treatment of them and oppression that is imposed on them. Isaac, how do you envision independence to be when we talk about a people being independent, a nation being independent? Yo, are you guys sure you want to hear me say this? Or? <laughs> yes, we want to hear it. Okay, all these settlers need to vie, dog. We went ready. 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 Yeah, (laughs) I knew you guys wouldn't be, but yeah, for me, these settlers need to vie. It needs to be clear this thing that we don't need them here. They came actually to interrupt us, especially since I consider myself a descendant of natives. I don't like using that word uh, even. So. I'd prefer all those hillbillies in America to get back on Columbus's ship and head back to the Queen and seek amnesty there. It must be, I'm, I'm serious, fam. I'm serious. The way they came to Africa uh, or Southern Africa, Mapungube was a place where a lot of trade was going on. That shows that we had systems in place already in Africa that reached far more than you find freaking Chinese porcelain in, Ma- in Mapungu, BFM. So, mm-hmm. I think these guys came through and they interrupted our systems, right? And they must vie. Okay, can I ask a question? What is a native? How far back is native? So, are we natives as Bantu people to South Africa? Or are the Khoisan the natives? Uh, okay, Who are the settlers? Okay, wait, wait. Who must okay, leave? In terms of uh, Khoisan... We know that historically they are a nomadic tribe, but 
they circle around southern africa i I, i'd say that bantu people started north moved south but Mm. essentially the land is ours sure africa is ours we had systems in place we had uh all the ways of like um machinery in terms of mining we were melting steel making weapons out of that like from from northern parts parts like ghana busi what are your views I mean, I think in the most ideal situation, we could restart in that way. I think one of the reasons why African states are not particularly independent, and I keep saying this, is because of aid dependence. It's commodity dependence, which makes us aid dependent. It's like the way in which our policy is influenced does not by us and for us. So that dependence to our colonizers, right? So in in French speaking Africa, the common currency which is basically created by the French, the taxes paid to France, like mm-hmm. so we still somewhat rely on the UK to advocate for South Africa in the EU. We still you know what I mean? So we still have that like indirect or rather very direct dependence economically and so that that pull or power does not enable us to make our own policies and so do you think that the bourgeois class in africa and by that i mean black elites mm-hmm. the politicians mm-hmm. do you think that they have taken the personas of the white oppressors and this is certainly something to take into consideration when we talk about independence most definitely if you even just look at how our systems are in place do you find that we're still carrying on the same way that it was when we had the white elite it's just that now it's replaced with black people you'll go into social spaces and you'll find the black elite acting the same way white people were in the golf clubs having an old black man carrying their golf bags like it's just literally the same thing just with black faces now so ricardo hearing all of these comments around independence and how it would ideally look like and how it's not oh where do you see america being in years to come decades perhaps even in terms of this discussion well i think this is a topic that will always be defined as long as we have what we consider to be modern civilization because well for me freedom is thus a polite fiction <laughs> for most of us you know 99.9% of us freedom is a polite fiction that we just all go along with and independence is a part of that so as long as one person independence is more valuable than another's we're going to keep having this discussion and i really don't see a way out of it out of it out of it hashtag ndabezita strikes back this week saw a lot of talks or a lot of developments in terms of land and redistribution in south africa But what particularly struck my interest was the talks around the Ingonyama Trust. Now the Ingonyama Trust is a statute actually an act of parliament established to integrate the former traditional homeland known as Zululand under the new administration and the new dispensation of democracy in our country. 
the trust was established to hold land for the benefit and welfare of the members of these various communities in um, KZN. And how the act is established is to give power to the king as to how he is going to administer how land is redistributed to his people. This is, of course, in the backdrop of the greater, larger land question where they've invited people from the minority and the majority to share their views on the issue of land and how it should be expropriated with or without compensation. Everyone is given a chance to give their views. Hell breaks loose, of course, when uh, a former statesman Khalima Motlante leads a high panel discussion. He's joined by uh, all sorts of experts and academics such as Professor Trasen from UCT who came to the conclusion or rather the recommendation that the Ingwanyama Trust be amended or abolished since they found that it does not fit in with the current values of the constitution that being of property rights. What they come to argue is that this trust does not benefit the man on the ground in the KZN area or, or these communities and tribes within KZN that are under the Ingonyama Trust. In fact, Salima and his high panel discussion come to the point that since it does not secure individual property rights in the terms of title deeds for these individuals and us having dominion over ourselves in terms of property rights and individualistic rights that the new dispensation of democracy has promised. The Zulu king, of course, strikes back emphatically and he calls a rally within KZN and a large number of people come through. It's important to note that this part of KZN used to be an IFP stronghold in the 80s, but moving towards the transition into democracy, it became an ANC stronghold and it was achieved through the help of traditional leaders and the king. So it's a really large constituency for the ANC in KZN. It's a real constituency and it's one of the largest ones that the ANC has. The king and the traditional leaders come to the opinion that Khalima Motlante wants to trump customary law because of the supremacy of the constitution and them protecting individual rights. So, Andisiwe, what does this mean when we are discussing the issue with the Zulu land within the context of the bigger land issue in South Africa when it comes to expropriation without compensation? Is this where the discussion should be or is it misplaced? I feel as though this is not the biggest problem when it comes to land right now in South Africa. I think the discussion should be on the land that is in the hands of the minority of people in, in, in South Africa. People who don't even live in South Africa anymore, but are still reaping the benefits of owning land in South Africa. But I do think this is a discussion that's worth having because the Zulu king might not be problematic, but I've seen places where chiefs are very problematic and they do abuse the people in their villages. 
through the use of land. But to answer your question, honestly speaking, I don't think this is the conversation we should be having right now. The conversation we should be having is on the white owned land that needs to move into the hands of black people in South Africa. Then Isaac, why is it that the media is paying so much attention to KZN and specifically this particular trust when it comes to the land debate and not really discussing the meeting part of the land debate? Well, mainstream media is run by uh, white people for me. It's in an attempt to protect their interests in terms of the land. It's a way of derailing the whole land thing, showing black people that, no, you have your own issues to, to deal with, like this issue of chiefs still owning your land. That's why they made this whole big thing about people from these communities having to lease places where they actually should be owning title deeds and it's a way to destabilize or a buffer for the land question because they know it's a serious thing. Busi, do you see it being a solution to have the state own all the land and including tribal land as well? So actually a couple of weeks or months ago now, I wrote a paper about transaction costs and um, land in South Africa. And I think the problem with why they might be coming for traditionally owned land is because South Africa's efforts towards land redistribution have largely failed, like all of them. So there's a mixed effect. So because they can't decide which one failed more than the other, it feels like, okay, let's just go for this one particular thing. And I think not enough research and proper well done research has been done to really identify what is the best solution forward and I think even if you put a lot of, and so Isaac was saying that with the majority we can decide and I'm telling you now even if you put all the black economists and legal people and everyone in one room like experts and so forth nobody would agree on one particular solution and so I think I don't think it should go to the state but I also feel like Everything is up for debate at this point because I don't think enough research has been done to figure out if these mechanisms have even worked to begin with. Ricardo, hearing that how fragmented the black community is when it comes to the land issue, as an outsider, well, as an outsider should be here, <laughs> according to Isaac. <laughs> what do you mm-hmm. make of this? South African. Um, is it... <laughs> stifling the whole unity aspect when it comes to solving our issues as black people you see this is something i think we fall into i don't know what this influence is but it's put it like this let's pretend we were talking about an issue that revolved around white people and there was fragmentation and differing opinions we wouldn't view it as anything odd right But when it's black people, it's, well, what do we think of these black people who can't get together and decide on anything? I'm like, that's kind of how things work amongst large populations. You know, I mean, I think we, and maybe this is my liberal thinking, I don't know. I'm like, as long as we keep thinking of, of ourselves as this one group mind or something, like one hive mind mentality... I don't know how far we'll get. Isaac, what's your response to that? In terms of these democratic processes, we know that 
it's democratic processes in a pro-white state. We know that the economy that facilitates our politics is owned mostly by white people. I don't think we have the best two game. We've had these talk shops since TRC, in my opinion. And all these things have, have done for black people is either ridicule them like they did with Mama Wini. With the TRC, I think that whole thing was just for her. And we never get to actually solving our problems for our benefit. I think it's time for us also as black people to exclude white people from our conversations. I understand we are all South Africans, but we have different interests. We're South Africans of different races, of different cultures. So why can't we just speak as those that are melanated and see how we can work all together? But then what do you make of Ricardo's perspective that this group think when it comes to black people that it may not necessarily work? I, I don't think a group thinks necessarily exists, man. I might be or might come across as very radical in my views, but I know that not all young people in my country think the same way as I do. Mm-hmm. I can always just bargain, uh, convince through argument. I, I am using those processes, in fact, whether I like it or not. There's some processes that I cannot avoid. And so regardless whether it's groupthink or not, land is of paramount importance. It's Mm -hmm. viewed as one of the main ways in which we can eradicate poverty. Mm -hmm. What do you have to say about that? Well, I think that statement is true. It is very important. Um, It is one of the main ways to eradicate poverty. But just to go on what Isaac said about having conversations outside of white people, it's a little bit difficult I do think we have to have those conversations ourselves and come up with what we actually really want in terms of land redistribution. But at some point, those conversations have to include the people who have the land. Fine, when they took the land from us, it was not conversations. But times have changed. The politics of the world have changed. And we're living in a democratic South Africa, quote unquote. So those people need to be involved in those conversations too. Bushi, when EFF spokesperson Gadi was interviewed by Francis Heard on the SAPC. In relation to the Zulu King, Julius Malema said one thing, now the EFF is doing an about turn. I'm asking why. It is not an about turn at all. It is in the course of public engagement that we will welcome every uh, 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 remarks that is made. The parliament has offered us a process and a platform to engage, and we are engaging, and the process is ongoing. Sure. Does the EFF no longer believe that the the king is fanning black-on-black violence? It is not about the king fanning a black-on-black violence. It is about any other person who makes statements that we have really to, to, to take into task. Okay, so these statements are okay, because this is the the quote Malema himself used, anyone who touches our land will be blood on the floor. So that rhetoric is okay. There's nothing wrong with that rhetoric. We can't stop people from saying whatever they want to say. It is not only the, uh, we, 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 it, it, it is not only respect, the king we, that, we he, that has said them. so. We have laws that prevent incitement to violence. Um, I'm asking those the laws are also applicable to any other person, including the white Afrikaners of Middlebeck, the white Afrikaners of uh, Dalstrom, the white of Afrikaners course. of Nelspreet, who have actually been talking the very same war language, beating the drums of wars.
So okay. it's not only isolated to one person my, my or the question, other. My question is, does the EFF support this rhetoric that there will be blood on the floor? She basically called him out for being part of an organization that flip-flops on issues. Do you think this is a case of political expediency when it comes to the EFF? It's just about making whatever the popular argument is of the day. I think the EFF is still a young organization and so part of it is figuring out what your politics are and I think when we compare it to the DA and the ANC they've had so much more time to figure out what they're about and who they're about and I think they were largely also shaped by the times right so EFF is coming up in this era again of wokeness of this is wrong this is right and there's a lot of things going on right so I don't know if they're against monarchs. I really don't know what their politics are in terms of that. I mean, they did say negative things about it, but I don't know if they're against the whole system as a whole or if they're against the individual. Isaac, in response, what do you make of the interview on the SAPC? Poorly handled. He could have handled the thing on principle, Ugadi. Also, to go back to what uh, Busi is saying, sure, I understand it's a young political party and they're still trying to find their feet. Maybe they should stop telling people that they are a government in waiting, first of all. And actually just focus on fixing their ideological stance. I don't think it's consistent for you to turn around and say someone that was fanning black-on-black -black violence is now someone you would support. So what I did, do you support black-on-black -black violence or, or what's going on? And you see where... Regardless of how we may view EFF politics, it seems as if the strategy is working. If anything, they have the youth on their side, it would appear. Is this because people are just not politically conscious? I don't necessarily think people are not politically conscious. I think people are just tired of the status quo. And sometimes people will turn a blind eye to some of the things like the flip-flopping because like isaac said ideologically it sits very well with a lot of us and their message over and above everything else is something that we want as young black people in south africa it's a freedom that we've never received even though we're constantly being told that we're free now well i do think that it is because something is missing but it's not necessarily something missing from us as young people in South Africa, but it's something that's missing in the political arena. Ricardo, you saw the interview with Gardi mm -hmm. and the Francis Heard, and you're hearing what Busi and Isaac are saying response as well as Andesiwe in terms of the EFF gaining momentum. What are your views, just looking at it from a critical perspective? Well, I have to say this. First and foremost, what kind of crooner are we talking about black on black crime? The country's 80% black. What, what does that even mean? Like, how can a. I mean, I, I expect it from people who, I guess, of an older generation who does fall into that trap. But what is black on black violence? Why do we fall into this European mindset that makes us out to be more violent than others? I mean, when an uh, Asian shoots an Asian in Asia, we don't go off this outbreak of Asian on Asian violence. I thought he was a distinct disadvantage in the interview because I felt that 
he felt less comfortable with his English than the person interviewing. And I think she exploited his lack of word choice to push her argument, which I guess all is fair in love and war, but I felt he was a bit manipulated. I think if it was, I mean, I don't know what his first language is, but I bet you if he had that same conversation in that language, it wouldn't have went off that way. I'm curious what you guys thought of, of that point. Isaac? This is the same guardian that oh man, you should see the vi- you should see his other videos in Parliament when he was telling Jacob Zuma to bring back the money. It was like very spirited when he was doing that. It, it didn't care that it, it came out with a funny oh. accent or he couldn't speak English properly. But he wasn't the confident guardian that we all know mm. in that I see. That yeah. uh, that was, and that really hurts the EFF. Given right. that he's, he's like a prominent face in the right. yeah. And just to clarify, I didn't think there was a problem with his English. It's just that, you know, there's certain words you're like, man, I I really want to use this word. I Good just point, yeah. can't think of it right now. So there was points where he was kind of like, um, because, you know, he's searching for the right word. But, you know, we, and it's a she lot easier to be on the, the defensive. Yeah. 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 And and when you're and it's a lot easier to be on the offensive on the attack give us back the money where's the money but when you have to defend your own ideology mm. you know i think it's a lot different when you're at the disadvantage of speaking a language a second language so busi when we look at the land issue in terms of kzn it brings again the whole issue of democracy versus tradition or tradition versus modernity and how do you see this playing out in terms of South Africa's young democracy? And what would you like to see happen? We need to accept that institutions in developing countries are not the same as institutions in developed countries. And I do think that there's room for both of those things. So I don't think it's one or the other. I don't have, think we have to pick between culture or democracy. I think we can have them both. It comes down to institutional design and upholding the values of those institutions. So sometimes institutions fail to uphold the values. And I think South Africa has said loud and clear, we value culture. Right, which is why we have some institutions in place to uphold that. So I think when it comes to the land thing, contrary to many of my economist colleagues, I really do believe in land reform without compensation. I I really do, and I think a lot of economists don't because the whole notion of you know you have to buy it, blah 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 blah, whatnot. But I think coming from an institutional economics background. It clearly is that if you want to have proper property rights, you cannot start from a place of imbalance. Think about how the United Kingdom or America got their property rights. They basically killed off all the people. I'm not saying we should be violent, but I'm just saying that they've done it in a very violent way, in the same way that white South Africans have done to us. And we have to be more creative about how we're going to redistribute the land without having a violent bloodshed. Isaac, do you think the liberal democracy aspect is hampering us? Certain aspects, yes. Uh, given that I think our state is like pro-white, I think we 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 go all out to protect white feelings, white money. You know, there are black people that defend white people like rigorous. They go with lazy arguments like Isaac is just hateful and racist. And, you know, 
But I think these are like lazy arguments because I'm I, I couldn't care less about a person's skin color or or how they look. For me, it's about historical injustice, man. What did your forefathers do, dog? Uh, and you see, how do we balance that though? In terms of we talk about a liberal democracy, we talk about individuals' rights, but at the same time, when it comes to certain groups practicing these rights they are put under the microscope the media will have something to say about it pointing case when former president jacob zuma used to sing and dance that was under scrutiny it was a problem it wasn't seen as keeping in with the decorum of the office now with the zululand dispute we see that people still want to adhere to their customs and they believe strongly in customary law but it's not realized in this liberal democracy at least as how the media has conceptualized it i think it boils back to what isaac said earlier on to say if democracy is for the people then why are we enforcing the way that we view things just because i have liberal views or the media has liberal views why are they enforcing it on people who don't necessarily share those views if people believe in something like their customary law why is it that it becomes a problem for us who don't necessarily believe in that it's like going to saudi arabia and saying that you know it's oppressive for women to be wearing a burqa whereas that is their belief and that's their culture so i think it's it just comes down to people having to respect each other and their views and their beliefs no one is being killed no one is dying and no human rights are being violated really it's just people wanting to live life the way that they believe in living it so put liberalism to the true test what yes. it's about mm-hmm. i mean ultimately it's about individual freedoms if i want mm-hmm. to be a proud zulu man or a proud sutu man or zonga man mm-hmm. i'm allowed mm-hmm. to be that mm-hmm. yes don't are you liberalism. but, but, but oh, yeah. like so, i said yeah. in theory is an illusion in theory in theory, in theory. Yeah. Because, because, <laughs> but but here's the but here's the boundaries of liberalism as you as you state um when your liberties infringe on mine so if you being a proud whatever man means that you could beat your wife i mean is what's the limits you know or i just use that as a as a obvious example but yeah everybody's liberties ha- should you know should be checked at yeah. times you know i mean no i agree they should <laughs> be checked at times yeah but ultimately i mean the issue though would be that with how liberalism is conceptualized and thought of in South Africa at the moment it's viewed as black person having to assimilate into whiteness it's not you being an african and being free to be traditional or a traditionalist if you so prefer hence i'm making the point about being proud of a zulu man and proud of being a sutu man etc even an afrikaner man if that's what it takes thank you for joining us for the 14th edition of the thinking behind it all 
please tell your friends family your lovers about us and <laughs> comment on our facebook page the thinking behind it all or look for us on twitter at ttbia underscore at ttbia underscore that's where the conversation should be happening thank you for supporting us and may it continue forevermore thank you for the crew ricardo isaac andy siwe and busi and as always your silence is concession sharp 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 sharp